Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Today we're actually doing, we're continuing the retrospective series. And the retrospective series basically is about 10 years ago, Pastor Kevin, who's currently away on holiday with the family, well, well, well deserved, uh, he, he wrote some messages that really sort of defined the culture in this church, the values within this church, and really set a foundation, a foundation on which they grew the church and, and, and took the church to another level. And as we look forward to another season where we we see similar things and and a lot of the stuff just seems familiar in that sense. Pastor Kevin wanted us to to look back on those values, those principles, those foundations on which this church was built 10 years ago. Who was here 10 years ago? The majority weren't. I wasn't here 10 years ago. The majority weren't. And, And so when you hear this message, you can just say that it's my message, but really it was Pastor Kevin wrote this message 10 years ago, and uh, although we sort of changed the context and maybe brought it up to date, the truth is still the truth. The truth remains. So we're going to examine these foundations, and, and what I'm talking about today is it's entitled A Different Spirit, and who encapsulates a different spirit? And a different spirit sort of insinuates that you have sort of a a general perspective, a general sort of, we're going to go over this way, and a different spirit suggests, well, I think we're going to go this way. I believe this is what God is saying that we should do. And, and one of the people who embodies that very well in the Bible is Caleb. Caleb, who was around during the times of Moses and, and Joshua, and came and, 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 and looked to sort of take the promised land, the promised land, the Canaan, which uh, they just sort of left Egypt, and they'd walked around in the wilderness for a number of years, and and they came across, or they came to, God guided them to the promised land, the lands of Canaan. And they were going to take these lands. And I want to read first. This is in Numbers 14, 19 to 24. And this is Moses speaking. And he says, pardon the iniquity. This is him speaking to God. Pardon the iniquity of this people. And the people were the Israelites. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully, and I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. There's something different about Caleb, because we're talking, God was talking there, and Moses, in, in sort of a dialogue, we're talking about the children of uh, Israel, you know, the, the Israelites. And they, they had seen the promised land. And I'll get into why they chose to test God one further time. But, but they saw the promised land, but, but didn't feel as if it was theirs, or didn't feel like they, they could walk into it. But one man, actually two men, Caleb and Joshua, saw it, and, and, and they knew 
that God was faithful. They knew that, there was, that, that, that God had promised this land. It was called the promised land. It wasn't anything else. It was promised. God had promised them it. And so when God said he promised it, they, they stood sure on that promise. They knew that God had promised it for them, and they were going to walk into it. So Caleb and Joshua stood with a different spirit. And, and it talks particularly here about Caleb. There was something about him that was different. So to bring it into sort of a more modern context, we were, I was just sort of thinking about the world in which we live and sort of some of the prevalent cultures and you know, attitudes that sort of sit around the world. And I sort of came to the opinion, the world is kind of quite, it's a place of complaining. There's a lot of complaining goes on in the world. Some of it's very justified, but some of it is just complaining. Has anyone heard anyone complain about something this week? Has anyone heard about anyone complain about something this weekend? How about today? Has anyone heard anyone complain? Has anyone heard anyone complain about something since coming to church this morning? The coffee. (laughs) Security, if you could remove Jamie, please. I know. Why do you keep drinking the coffee? (laughs) <laughs> anyway, the, but it's something in the culture, it's, it's incredibly pervasive. It, it just, it sort of infiltrates even our basic com- communication. I was thinking about this, you, you ask someone, how are you doing? Not bad. <laughs> not bad. Could say good, but no, not bad. What does not bad mean? Are you good? Well, I wouldn't want to go that far. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Not bad is, but that's a really funny term, isn't it? Not bad could say good, say not bad. And we're always looking for it to be, I say we're always looking to it, there is, a, there is a, a sense that people are never wanting fault to sort of stop with them. The fault in any circumstance, in any situation, it's tough for people to accept that responsibility for actions or, or more importantly for mistakes uh, because there's a belief that it will reflect poorly upon them. Even though I think lots of people realize that, you know, the only way to succeed is to make a few mistakes along the way, and you learn from those mistakes, and you, but, but at the same time, everyone wants to have a spotless record. Nobody wants blame or, or anything like that. You can't have the buck stop with you, uh, because it feels like it, it makes you deficient in some way, that your capacity is somehow reduced, uh, and you can't, you can't progress if, if you have flaws, if there are things that are obviously that you have done wrong in the past, it, it hampers achievement. These are the sort of these are the pressures that sit upon people that, that, that make them want to sort of I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take that. I'm gonna I'm gonna push it aside, I'm gonna pass it on to somebody else. And and that's that's a slightly that's that's a worrying thing because mistakes are something that we we when we embrace a mistake, when we embrace a flaw and we look at it as a weakness and look at it as something that we can develop and build upon. And we can use it as fire, uh, fuel for the fire to see success. But there is something that makes us want to really step away from that. The other one, the other example, and I actually I saw an example of it this week, which is why it sort of came to my head. But it was this idea of, of ins- uh, it's almost the complete opposite of that, but it's just as destructive, really. Uh, but it's someone with, with an obvious flaw in their life. And rather than try and hide it, but to, to actually go and sort of bring it to, to people and almost get a validation of whatever that, that flaw or weakness is, to kind of bring it to them and say, oh, this is what I've done, because they want a change. No, it wasn't 
for the purposes of change. It was the purposes of getting some sort of agreement that it really wasn't that bad. That really it's something, it's almost like you, when you see it as a shortcoming, it niggles you. But if you get everyone to agree that it's not a shortcoming, then it's not a shortcoming anymore and you can just continue. You lower the bar. You lower the bar. Has anyone ever heard that? Anyone ever done that? Don't have to put your hand up. <laughs> but you want everyone to agree that, that what, you've, what you've done or this, this action that you've had or this, this thing that you feel regret for, if, if everybody says it's all right, then, hey, I can just keep doing it. I, there's, there's no onus on me whatsoever to change that or to, to do anything. There's, you're basically looking for an agreement for expecting less. An agreement for expecting less. And... What I want to talk about today is, is as a church, I'm talking corporately. Obviously, the words uh, and the message today is, is it, to be received on a personal level. But really, I'm talking corporately. As a corporately, as a church, we want to have a different approach. We want to have a different approach to, to any of those sort of, you know, sort of currents of life, or currents that the world sort of just sort of throws in. And we want to step, step out of those. We, instead of being sort of carried by the current, we want to, I guess... Go upstream, go different, have a different approach. And it requires us to operate on a different frequency. It requires us to, to look at life and, and do things differently. I, I remember Pastor Kevin, I went to Iceland with him once, with uh, Laura and, 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 and Pastor Cheryl. And on the way back, we got there very early in the morning and there was a, a queue to get uh, at the airport to get on a flight and it was, it was a massive queue there was just everyone was sort of standing in it and you know how there's, there's barriers it went like just as much beyond the barriers and like oh man we're going to have to stand this queue for ages Pastor Kevin doesn't like queuing <laughs> Pastor Kevin is not up for queuing particularly when he reckons there's a way not to queue and so what he did was he managed to get his tickets uh, our tickets and he went over to one of the machines and he just sort of fiddled with it for a while and we were all sort of looking and going oh probably be much easier if we just queued he didn't want to queue and he fiddled for a while and I think he got somebody to come over basically we skipped the queue he just he just he just got us through that and we were sort of walking past all these people going suckers <laughs> but we were just as much suckers he saw it differently he's like I don't need to queue here they've got machines over there I'm sure I can work something out or at least get somebody else to work it out for me it requires a different approach it requires not to just go with the norm and the norm seems so normal because it's there it's like that's life people say oh that's life that's life, that's the way things go, that's the way things are. Are they? The world is uh, molded and changed by the people who don't look at that, who don't say, well, if that's how we do it, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. That doesn't look like a very good way. Look at all those people queuing. And there's a machine over there and nobody's even using it. I just thought that was quite a good way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it, now, I might get some of the details of this story wrong. And to be honest, it's probably sacrilege that I get it wrong because it is stories of Scottish victory. <laughs> but, and I haven't actually looked at it much since uh, I was at secondary school. So if I get it slightly wrong, please feel free to shout abuse at me because really I, I'm not to blame but myself. But uh, the Battle of Bannockburn. The Battle of Bannockburn is really interesting because it's basically the story of a, or the account. It's not a story, it's real. Uh, it's the account of a small army against a big army and how the small army overcame the big army. And what they realized was if they just lined up against them, they were going to get annihilated. So they engineered, or they, they, they managed to sort of manipulate the battle so that the larger force had to cross a bridge, a narrow bridge, in order to make it to the other side. I've got that story right, right? I've not confused two battles. Excellent. Good stuff. Jim, Jim says it's right. I think he was there. <laughs> 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 Sorry, <John. laughs> 
I know. I saw. But so they made them. They made them sort of come across just sort of two at a time. And and the and what did that do? Well, it negated the stronger armies. Numbers, their strength of numbers was completely diminished because they could only go over the river, they could only go over the bridge two at a time, and so they were able to sort of fight them off, and they won that battle. And it's a real sort of, it's like, ah, oh, yes, we we won that battle, and, and and it was a real sort of feather in our caps because you know Scotland is like a, a tenth of the size of, of of England, and to win such a strategic battle was great. But why did they win it? They won it through different tactics because up till then people just stood opposite each other and hacked at each other until one army wasn't there anymore and, and they chose not to do that because they realised that was on a hiding to nothing and, and I talk about it in terms of, and the reason I've used this, this example is because we have to realise that we are actually in a fight we have to realise that, 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 that as Christians as, uh, as, as those who stand up for the church and stand in the church that, that we are in a battle that there is, there is a force there is uh, an attitude there is, there is an enemy who wants to diminish our capacity, diminish us. Uh, there is a continual push over our influence. You know, we, we have an influence. We have, we have a circle of friends. We have families. We have influence in those people's lives. And the enemy is always looking for ways to diminish that. And does he diminish it sometimes by turning people's hearts against us? Absolutely. But I often think that he does it by simply just turning us, turning us off, making us cold, just making us not able to sort of take on the battle, to, to, to look against it, to, to, to see the size of the army, to see the size of the opponent, the size of the task, and say, how, how can I even, how can I do anything whatsoever? But you can always find another way. There's a different spirit. There's different tactics. There's a different approach. The enemy wants to diminish your influence over your cow. He wants to stall you. He wants to bog you down with thoughts, thought patterns, and ideologies that will hamper your progress and compromise your testimony. I went to, I went to a country once, uh, and I was speaking to these single people about marriage, which was quite amusing because I hadn't actually been married very long. But I was speaking to unmarried people, and I'd been unmarried for quite a long time, all my childhood and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I was speaking to these, uh, these people from a different country, and they were, they were sort of telling me a bit about the... Uh, the sort of the, the the climate, not the climate. The climate makes it sound like we're talking about the weather. They weren't talking about the the culture. Sort of just some of the things that had been happening in their city, and it was uh, and and just their region. And it was it was the attitude toward unmarried people, uh, and the church sort of condoning them just sort of moving in and, and living together. And and they were sort of saying, well, a lot of the churches in our area sort of are kind of turning a blind eye, just sort of saying, ah, oh, it's okay. And why were they saying it was okay? They were saying it was okay because, well, modern, I put that in part commas because what does that even mean? But modern relationships, well, that's what you do. You move in together and you see what it's like and if you like it, then you continue living together and maybe have a big party that they call a marriage and, uh, or maybe you don't and you go and find somebody else to go and live with for a while and you keep doing that and, and that was sort of they wanted to do something that reflected that culture but the problem was that it diminished the, the, the real sanctity of marriage that, that the, the what did it do it, it, it basically took away the 
intimacy of that particular relationship, the very purpose that God created marriage for, what, what he had made it for, it had been diminished. It had been sort of allowed to just sort of be, well, you know, how are we going to get kids to come to church if we tell them they can't have sex before they're married? Well, why don't you tell them the reason why? Why don't you tell them the awesomeness of what God put in that, put in that relationship, the strength that it creates? But there was, there was a decision that, ah, you know what, that would be a little bit difficult. Who's going to listen? I heard of a, an American pastor who was being spoken to, and he was being interviewed by sort of secular media, and they were asking his thoughts on, on gay marriage that had just been passed. And, and he, his response was basically this, we lost that battle 20 years ago. We lost that battle 20 years ago. Young people don't care about what the church has to say. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't come to church. They don't care about church. Why would they even care what we have to say about it? We lost the battle 20 years ago when we didn't invest in those young people. We lost that battle 20 years ago when we weren't making church important in their lives. We allowed compromise to get in. And now 20 years later, we don't even have a say in the debate. He wasn't saying whether it was right or wrong. He was simply saying that decision was taken without anyone caring what we thought about it. And that was an interesting thought because... Because it was needed a different approach. There was a, there was a we're going to do church like this, even though it seems to sort of alienate young people. It, needs to, it, it hasn't altered in, in 50 years. And there needs to be a different approach. As a church, we need to be looking for that different spirit, not just continually doing things the same way. We need to take back ground that the enemy has taken. And we'll have, an, have a spirit that doesn't shrink from the fight very easy to shrink from the fight, to, to walk away from it, to think that it's too big, to be quiet and spineless. But it takes a different spirit to fight. And I want to I talk about four aspects of Caleb that demonstrated the different spirit he embodied. And the first one is that he wasn't intimidated. He was not intimidated. It says in Numbers 13, 26 to 30, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Para and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told, them, uh, then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in this land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The descendants of Anak were like giants. So you saw these like massive people. And the Am- uh, Amalekites <laughs> dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. They basically were saying, it's a great land. God hooked us up, but it's full of all these ferocious killers that all want us not to be there. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. We are well able to come overcome it. They were, he, see, he saw giants, but he knew that he was bigger than the giants because he wasn't intimidated. I, now, I used to have this dream as a child, or I guess as a sort of a, a, a young teenager, into sort of for, for a number of years. And 
I'm interested to see if anyone else has ever had this. Because I remember thinking, like with all your dreams, you're the only person who ever has this dream. And then my brother sort of mentioned he had it. I was like, oh, wow, you had that dream too. We must be just as screwed up as each other. <laughs> but I had this dream, and it would be, it would be without context. There would be, the place would be sort of without any sort of character whatsoever. I, I would be in a place, and I would have this opponent, this adversary, that was wanting to come against me. And, and, and I knew I was in this sort of, this battle, this fight. Uh, and I would try and fight this opponent. And the opponent as a, would be faceless. It, it, wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be any person. But I knew I was in this conflict. And I, and I knew the stakes were really heightened. Like it was, it was like a battle to the death or something. And I would see this opponent. And I would, I would start to try and fight them. But I would feel like my... My hands were moving through glue. I, I didn't feel like I could move. I just felt totally helpless. I felt totally at the person's, uh, at this adversary's mercy. That I, that I, that I couldn't make any headway. And, I, and, I, and, and although, the, as with all dreams, you never have a beginning or an end. It, it never ended in a particular resolution. But I just knew that I'd lost. I, I just felt this despair of knowing that I'd been overcome. But... When I became a younger man, in my sort of early 20s, I had exactly the same dream. The same faceless opponent, the same sort of not really anywhere, no real stakes, nothing like that. But I felt like I was Superman. Yeah. I could, there was nothing this guy could do to me. I would ragdoll him, throw him all over the place, punch holes in his face and everything. And it wouldn't matter what he, and I would just feel like I was Superman. Has anyone, anyone ever had any dreams like that or am I just a psycho? <laughs> On my own. <laughs> anyway, well, me and my brother can, <laughs> anyway. Apparently this, I looked it up because I, I knew there was, it, it had some sort of meaning. The, the fighting and feeling weak actually comes from a place of inferiority. Feeling helpless, feeling like you, uh, you, you, you just you can't do anything. You feel less. You feel less in yourself, and an inferior. And I've, I, I, and, I, and when I read that, I was like, wow, I, I really did feel like that kind of growing up. I did feel inferior in, in many ways. But the interesting thing was this: is that the time at which those dreams changed was exactly the same time that I got saved. When I got saved, I felt empowered. I knew God was in me. I didn't feel less because I knew that he said I was more. I knew that when he talked over me, he talked those words of, you know, I'm, like he was saying, I make you brave. You know, I make you courageous. And, I, and all of that sort of doubt and, and fear and inferiority just evaporated. And, and, and I guess it manifested itself in these sort of uh, dreams that lasted for, unfortunately, they didn't last anywhere near as long as the other ones. You know, I, and, and here's the thing, though. I used to see giants. I used to see, everywhere I went, these giants, these, these oppositions, these, these tasks, these challenges that I didn't know how I would ever overcome. But when God came into my life, he put hope into my life. He put an understanding that it is not the size of the opponent, but it's the size of me that you should be focusing on. When I started seeing the, uh, started comparing, not myself against the challenge, but comparing the challenge against God, it made life very different because I could see things on a whole different frequency. Instead of seeing giants, I saw grasshoppers. Inferiority cripples us. It absolutely cripples us because you look at yourself in, in, in relation 
to whatever it is that you come against, whether it be that difficult relationship or that, that person that you're just absolutely desperate to speak to God about. And you, you, look at, you look at the size of that task and you think, how can I possibly do it? But when you look at it with, through God's eyes, you look at, well, how can God possibly fail? You start assessing the giants in our lives and realizing that they're not giants to God. How about that? They're not giants to God. The sons of Anak weren't giants to God. He didn't go, wow, they're massive. Look at the size of those blokes. Just creation. He was God. The second thing was he had godly insight. Caleb saw what God did. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 to 10, it says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, deep things of God. Men use their own sight. Men look at, and it's much like I was just saying before, men look at, the things in front of them and and assess their capacity to deal with those things. Caleb looked at things through God's eyes and understood the victory was in him. The victory was in him. And he looked and he saw God's perspective. I had a a few, maybe about a year ago, I was in a presentation at work. And uh, I worked for a Norwegian company and they was doing this whole presentation of where the company was founded and what its roots were. And it was quite, it was really like high production. It was really exciting. I'm sure they used helicopters and everything, slow motion. And it was very cool. Uh, and it looked like it probably would have cost a lot of money. It was very serious. It was very like, whoa, this is, this is who we are. And the tagline, which I believe because of the context of the, the, the video, was serious. It, it translated really badly into English. And they were like, this is us. We are fish and ships because <laughs> they were based out of fishing and out of shipping and they put them together and we're fishing ships and everyone in the Aberdeen office is looking at each other going is that a joke? <laughs> but nothing before it and nothing after it was funny and in an engineering meeting the next day it took about half an hour of conversation and they talk about engineering and I was like was that, was that serious? Or was that a joke? I was like, oh, we're not sure here's the here's the interesting thing is it didn't actually mention engineering in there I'm an engineer, and we, uh, I work for a, a new part of the company that deals with sort of engineering. We're trying to do all sorts of uh, jobs with, with that as our sort of our basis. And you often come across sort of little sort of idiosyncrasies, as you do in all companies, where the, you can have this little challenge, this little struggle. You're like, oh, I'm trying to make this work, but somehow the company seems to want to go over this way, and you're trying to sort of push it this way. And, and you know, I've watched lots of people get very frustrated by this process and, and, and be like, oh, it's just they don't, they don't taking it seriously and stuff like that. What you, and this is what I've sort of come to realize is this is a company that makes an awful lot of money. And it makes an awful lot of money in two or three different fields. And those are the fields, they, they are the, the demands that they are seeking to try and, you know, sort of help and, and, and work towards and because they want those to stay healthy. And sometimes the small concerns, the minute concerns of a single person, a single employee, cannot necessarily change the entire direction of a company because it has to, it has to respond to the industry in which it's in. And, and it takes a bigger view to look at that, to look at, 
a whole company, and like with any company that you work for or, or, or uh, institute that you work for, that, that your own singular concerns cannot necessarily shift the direction in which this sort of beast is moving. And, uh, <laughs> and, I, that, and uh, lots of people find that very difficult to understand because you give so much of your life, you put so much time and effort in, but, but there is a bigger picture. And with God, there is a bigger picture. His will is something. He has, he has an overall plan. He has, he has a view that is his alone. And often we come to situations and circumstances and we look at them purely through our own eyes. We look at them and we look at all the challenges, all the difficulties. We fail to grasp what God is trying to do in that situation. And what Caleb did was he saw that this was the promised land. He saw that there was all these obstacles, all these people that needed to be overcome. But he knew that God had made a plan. And knew that if God had made a plan then it was a plan that could be followed. His plan, his plan is on a greater scale than we could ever understand. The Israelites couldn't see beyond their own deficiencies. They just, they couldn't see beyond them. They saw that as the the limitation on what could be achieved. But Caleb saw God's way and God had promised that land and he had promised them that they would possess it. And that was all he needed to know. See, God assigns things, whether they be roles or opportunities which he puts in our path. He puts them in our path and like the Israelites, we can often walk straight past them. And why do we do that? I think it's because we often look at the, the opportunities and the roles that God presents us as being something that is for our own gratification. We look at it and say, oh well, you know, this is, this is definitely from God because I feel so good doing it. I feel like, oh wow, he's made, given me this huge promotion and I just, I know it's God because it makes me feel happy. Yeah. But what if God has a plan and a will that requires us to take a difficult road? Well, that can't be God. It can't be God because it's difficult. It can't be God because it doesn't make me feel really good right now. People know what I'm talking about here. I've certainly had to walk some difficult paths and I'm asking God all along, this is the path you want me on? Yeah. yeah, you want me on this path, okay. Why? And you know what? It's sometimes taken years for me to understand the why. But when you understand the why, you're like, oh my goodness, I would have, I would have had no issue. I, I would, I, and you say, say this in, a, in retrospect, oh, I would have had no issue walking that path. It wouldn't matter how difficult it was if I knew this was the outcome. Sometimes we don't know the outcome when we're walking down a path. But what we do need to know is that God has a plan. Yeah. And if he's putting us down a path, if he's, if he's making us walk through a few challenges, a few difficulties, it doesn't necessarily always mean that it's the enemy having a go at you. Yeah. Sometimes it just means that he's, he's trying to develop something on the inside. What do challenges do? What do mistakes do? They help us reassess and build new strength and resolve into our lives. And how do we do that? The only way we can do that is see it God's way. Because if we just see it our own way, then we'll just do what feels good. Number three, he was confident in his authority. He knew his authority. It says in Numbers 14.24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. For we are more than able. Caleb knew that they were more than able. There's a reason there is a reason they were able to do it. The reason they were able to do it is because God wanted them to do it. He wanted them to do it. So that's why they were able. He had promised them it. It was his plan. That is why they were able. They weren't able because there was loads of them. It wasn't, they weren't able because they, 
you know, had great swords or they were able because God had promised it. And the, the thing, funny thing is this, the Israelites actually believed that the decision as to whether conquering, conquering Canaan was actually a decision they were authorized to make. They actually thought, well, we can just say, we'll pass. Thanks, God. Looks great, but we're just going to pass. They thought they were authorized to make that decision. They, were author- they felt like they were able to kind of do that. On Friday, well, all last week, I was uh, working down the quayside in Montrose. And on Friday, my supervisor was like, I have to go to a meeting, so you're going to be in charge. And we had some deliveries to do and a little bit, some bits and pieces. And I was given, I was going to be the, uh, the person that his authority was sort of passed on to. So I was going to be the, the person with all the power down at the, down at the quayside, all, all three of us. But... Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I had been given that authority, and I, you know, nothing left that quayside without my say. So I did all the signatures. I said when people could have tea breaks and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's very exciting. Uh, <laughs> there was one thing I wasn't authorized to do, and that was not turn up. Just because I was given authority didn't mean I was like, oh, excellent, I've got authority. Day off. No, 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 no. My authority was for a purpose and a reason, and that was to get the job done. It was for the job done. God gave them authority. He said, you know, this is your land. And you hear that as if like, oh, wow, really? It's like, no, 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 this is your land. This is your land. Now you have to go and take it. Now you have to go and do it. And God says that about so much stuff in our life. He says, this is yours. I have given this to you. And we're like, I'll, I'll use it when I feel like. I'll walk in this gifting when I feel like, when it makes me feel good. He's, and the difference with Caleb was he understood that God's command was not a suggestion. How many times do we hear these promises, do we hear these things and think, oh, that, was, that was nice of God to suggest that. But it's a command. He wants us to go forth and, and take land and, 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 and progress and forward his kingdom. It's not a suggestion. And the last thing was he shared his possession. He caused, Caleb caused others to possess. It says in Joshua 15, verse 13. Now, to Caleb, the son of Jeff. <laughs> Just Jeff. He gave, he gave a share. He gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord of Joshua. Because of his valor and his courage and his bravery and just what he did Joshua gave him this sort of this it was a hill country it was like the most it was like the best bit basically the best bit and had all these hills and you could do all these vines and it was a very prosperous place and and he gave them to Caleb but he gave it to Caleb and his tribe you know the tribe of of Judah they the 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 Judean tribe probably the way to put it they benefited because he, he was able to share that possession because of what he went and did he was able to share that with the rest of his kinsmen what would it have been like if Caleb's reward was just for him it was like here's, here's this hill country this awesome hill country it's all yours but only yours and he was like oh okay excellent it seemed great for a while sort of hanging around on these hills just sort of looking at it all going oh isn't this splendid I wonder how long it would take before he'd start going to visit the neighbours. And they'd be like, hi guys. 
They're like, oh, wow, we've just looked at your, your hill country, all of you. That looks amazing. You're like, yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm all up there on my own, but it's great. I really st- start doing a lot of reading. <laughs> no, you know what? It would have been, it probably would have felt like a prison in many ways. It might have been the most beautiful prison ever. But the great blessing of it was he was able to share it with his family and his kinsmen. And we're like, all right, we're going to put a vineyard over here. We're going to put a farm over here. And we're going to just work together. And he was able to take that blessing, that possession, that, that something awesome that God had given it to him. And he was able to share it with all of these people that were close to him. There was something different about that. Because how often do we see the blessings in our lives and, and think, wow, isn't that great for me? Isn't that awesome for me? It takes a different spirit to look at the wilderness others are living in and almost use that gain to rescue them. Use that gain, use that blessing that God has given us. We walk in covenant with God that causes us to possess the promises of God. It's just the best thing about being in relationship with Him. It's we know, we know him as father now. We know him as, as God and as father. And as a father and as a child, we're able to go to him. And we're able to speak with him as a, as a child to a father. And we're able to, like, like, with, like with a great father, you can go to them and you can, you can tell them about your life. And you can have a conversation and, and you receive the wisdom. You receive the resources and you receive the power at your father's disposal. And that's a relationship that we're able to walk in as Christians the hill country is a prosperous place to dwell and living in God's house is a prosperous place to live but who wants to be the only person in your family the only person in your circle of friends or your workplace that has this awesome opportunity or this this awesome life the great thing and the, the, the different spirit is to say this is awesome how can I let them know it how can I let them know it too? Rather than keeping it all to ourselves, one of the best things about living a new life is allowing that new life to impact those around us. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.